Florida youth explain their reasons for suing the state of Florida in their climate change litigation. This is Climate Monitor. On January 8, 2020, at Florida State University's College of Law in Tallahassee, four of the seven young people suing the state of Florida explained their personal reasons for becoming plaintiffs in the litigation entitled Reynolds et al. versus the state of Florida et al. The case is filed in the circuit court in and for Leon County, Florida. This excerpt of the program lasts about 24 minutes and is worth every second. litigation panel at the at Florida State University College of Law. We are delighted to have you all here. My name is Hannah Wiseman. I'm a professor here at the law school, and I lead the law school's uh, program on environmental energy and land use law. Uh, we are most delighted today to have the children here, the plaintiffs in the case Reynolds v. Florida. These children are an inspiration to all of us. They did not create the problem that they were born into, but they are here taking on this problem anyway. And in a world of apathy and frustration, uh, they truly are uh, an inspiration to all of us and we so appreciate their taking the time. We are also incredibly lucky to, today to have Andrea Rogers with us, who has been a leading attorney in many of the uh, climate cases that are moving through the courts right now throughout the country. Uh, so here's how this panel will proceed. I will introduce uh, Andrea, and then Delaney Reynolds, the first named plaintiff in the case, will introduce herself and the children. Uh, but let's quickly uh, just, just uh, I'll introduce you to the case and, and to the attorney who has made this case possible, and then let's hear from the children who are the most important participants in this panel. So quickly, the case, uh, it is Reynolds v. State of Florida, with Delaney Reynolds being the first named plaintiff. And the defendants are the State of Florida, the governor, as well as the Florida Department of Environmental Protection, which is responsible for, of course, air quality and other uh, environmental issues uh, throughout the State of Florida. The Agriculture and Consumer Services uh, Office, which is uh, the Energy Policy Office in Florida, and also oversees the state's forests, which are affected by climate change. The Board of Trustees of the Internal Improvement Trust Fund, which is responsible for the conservation and protection of all state lands in Florida, and the Public Service Commission, which essentially sets energy policy in a different way than agriculture and consumer services does, the Public Service Commission approves all of the energy generation infrastructure in the state of Florida and approves the rates that may be charged for energy. Uh, the defendants unfortunately declined to participate, so they are not here today. We didn't invite them. They have a policy of not commenting on pending litigation. So that's why uh, we have uh, just one side represented on this panel today. But we are incredibly, incredibly lucky to have uh, all, all of these plaintiffs here and Andrea. So let me quickly introduce Andrea and then we'll hear from Delaney. So Andrea Rogers is the senior attorney at Our Children's Trust. Here's Andrea right here. She serves as co-counsel on the Constitutional Youth Climate Lawsuit against the federal government, Juliana v. United States, and as lead counsel on several of uh, state climate change lawsuits, including the one you'll hear about today. 
she graduated from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and then the Arizona State University School of Law. And she served as co-executive editor of Jurometrics, the journal Law, Science, and Technology, after graduating from law school. She also clerked uh, on the Arizona Court of Appeals. She has served as an honors attorney for the U.S. Department of Transportation and in-house legal counsel uh, for the Western Environmental Law Center uh, and the Snoqualmie Indian Tribe. She, in 2016, was named by Seattle Met Magazine for her legal work representing youth in the Washington climate change case. Uh, she was named as a perfect party, uh, the month's most interesting local and newsmaker. That's, a, that's an impressive honor. So again, we are uh, so excited today to have Andrea and the children. Let's hear from them. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good morning. Good, okay. Um, allow me to start by thanking Florida State University College of Law, Dean O'Hara O'Connor, and all of you for hosting us today. It's an honor for all of us to be here with you, so thank you so much. Um, so my name is Delaney. I am the lead plaintiff in the Reynolds v. State of Florida case, and I'm here with some of my friends, my co-plaintiffs. I'm here with Val Holly, Levi, and Isaac, and I'll let them introduce themselves a little more, um, as you're going to hear from all of us today. So I, I can confidently say that I know that I speak for my co-plaintiffs when I say that none of us ever expected to sue the state that we live in. Um, but the climate change crisis demands that we take action. We seek to have fair, unbiased, professional people help us protect Florida's future. And that's why we're seeking a judicial solution. The time has come to set the politics aside and to deal with the foundational issue that is causing climate change, the use and support of fossil fuels. And there's no better place to lead the way than right here in Florida. So as you heard, my name is Selene, and I'm the fourth generation of my family to live here in Florida. We've been in Miami since 1910, and I split my time between Miami, where I was born and now attend college, and a small rural 1,000-acre island in the Florida Keys called No Name Key in Monroe County that's filled with far more wildlife than people and where we have a solar-powered home. I absolutely love Florida's wildlife, the nature everywhere, the habitats that are one of a kind. But I must say that I am deeply concerned about our future as a state and the threats that we face from sea level rise that are caused by man's emission of carbon dioxide into our atmosphere and waters, which in turn warms our planet and causes sea levels to rise. And that's not just the view of a 20-year-old kid, that's scientific fact. The thermometer was invented in 1709 by Fahrenheit, and we can all read them. I think we can agree on that. Um, if you simply review the data that's recorded from the measurements that have been taken since thermometers were invented, then it's easy to see that we have a real problem and that it's going to get worse and that it demands solutions. In fact, in all of these years of measurements, 2014 was the warmest year on record until 2015 beat the record until 2016, beat the record again, until 2017 became the third warmest year, 2018 became the fourth warmest year, July 2019 was the hottest month ever, and 2019 as a whole is probably going to be in the top five warmest years. So uh, it's, it's clear that our temperature, our global temperature is increasing. And as that happens, our polar ice increasingly melts, and then sea levels rise. 
Today in South Florida, where I'm from, we currently experience about six days of sunny day flooding. No rain, perfectly sunny day, and it floods our streets. Um, but as seas continue to rise, we're going to see about 80 days of flooding by 2030, and perhaps 380 flooding events by 2045, sometimes more than once a day, and that's within all of our lifetimes. You don't need to be a scientist to understand the reality of what those projections will mean in our lifetimes, yours and mine, to South Florida, much less what has already begun to happen. And that's why in 2017, City of Miami voters lacking support from the state, passed the Miami Forever Bond to raise $400 million to start to mitigate the problem, to create some sort of short-term solutions. Just last month, Monroe County officials openly announced that they will not have the money to save much of the Florida Keys from sea level rise. And they actually asked the state for $150 million to begin addressing the issue. County leaders in the Keys have said that at least 36% of property owners will need to retreat at a just two foot increase of sea levels. And in some cases, the county will actually have to seize people's properties through eminent domain laws because they'll be too costly to try and save. Our reality is that these rising temperatures and resulting sea level rise is placing much of the region at the real risk of disappearing, of being lost forever. Sadly, our state government has long disregarded and diminished what is happening, and given the stakes, it's no longer acceptable to overlook the topic or merely just mention it in an election year cycle by making feel-good political appointments or by talking about mitigation. The time has come for real action, and that's why I'm suing our governor, the state of Florida, and the cabinet. It's my view that our state has failed to honor their duty outlined in the Florida Constitution and public trust doctrines, and the time has come for that to change. Ladies and gentlemen, like I've said, cities all over Florida are declaring climate emergencies. Miami-Dade, Miami Beach, Monroe County, and Surfside, just to name a few. It's clear that local grassroots movements are taking place, but these cities are crying out to their state for help. Cries that are being ignored as cities literally drown into extinction. The good news is that there are solutions and alternatives to the use of fossil fuels. And the sooner that we begin widely implementing such solutions, the better chance we have of saving Florida. The bad news is the state of Florida has done little to nothing to help us solve the problem. Now, although our state's executive branch, the governor, cabinet, state representatives, senators have failed us, the good news is that the judicial branch of the government, where our legal system lies, has the law on our side. And as young stewards and agents of change, as the next generation of decision makers and leaders and concerned citizens, I believe that my friends and I have a moral obligation to solve our climate change crisis. And it is my hope that our legal system will help me draw a line in the sand to stop the damage and begin implementing solutions while Florida's beaches still have sand on them before it's too late. Thank you. All right. Hi, my name is Levi. I am 12 years old and I live on in the Indian Harbor Beach, Florida on a small barrier island on the east coast of Florida. I, we have the Atlantic Ocean on one side, and we have the Indian River Lagoon on the other side. 
I absolutely love where I live. I love to go boogie boarding in the ocean, watching dolphins in the Indian River Lagoon, and seeing manatees in the canal. But our island is very fragile. We have experienced flooding, worsening storms. I have been evacuated two times from my home because of hurricanes. We also experience red tides, algae blooms, and fish kills, which kill millions of fish in the Indian River Lagoon and the ocean. And we also have more unusual weather patterns, like it's actually cold in Florida. I do things to help because we need to. I plant sea oats to help build up the dunes to protect our island from hurricanes. I pick up the tr I pick up trash on the beach and on the Indian River Lagoon with my homeschool group and just with my uh, me and my family. And I eat vegan. These are little things can help, like recycling and turning out the lights. But this is not enough. It is not enough for people like me to do. Little things, we can do these little things, but we need bigger change. We need action now. That is why I am part of this lawsuit. Because I care about where I live, I care about my future, and I care about my life. Thank you. old and I grew up on the Seminole Indian Reservation. I am Native American. My father is a Panther Clan and where I was raised I was always taught to care about your environment not just because of my future. I wasn't taught this because oh it'll help save the planet you know do these little things reduce reuse recycle. I was taught that because Native Americans have this mindset of if what you're doing is going to affect the next seven generations, you should not be doing that. If it's going to negatively affect them, you should not be doing that. You have to care for the world around you. You have to care for everyone. We have such a sense of togetherness. Um, and no matter who I meet, whenever I'm with other indigenous people, there's always a strong connection and a strong bond we have. And what's really heartbreaking to me is that a lot of indigenous communities are on the front lines. They're on the front lines of climate change and they're going to be affected and they're going to be one of the first groups affected. I know multiple activists from around the world and they've all fought against pipelines. They've been shot at, they've been attacked for what they do. And a lot of them are hated for the activism they do, but they continue to speak up about it. When I attended COP25, um, it was crazy to see like how little that these people in charge who have a lot of power were willing to do and how much time it took for things to get done. And if our leaders aren't going to do anything, the youth have to. And that's why I'm suing along with my other co-plaintiffs. And I really want to see a future for my children, for my tribe. Down in South Florida, where the Seminole tribe is, I live on the Big Cypress Reservation. And 
of course, we all know Florida is a very flat place and it's really at sea level rise, if not a few feet above. And my home is really at risk and my culture is at risk because thousands of generations before me lived there and there's a really deep connection to my land. I've always been taught about the Seminole Wars and when I was taught about them, it took me a long time to realize that when my ancestors fought in those wars, they were fighting for everyone. They weren't just fighting to keep themselves alive. They weren't fighting because of greed or corporate interest or money. They were fighting for their home. They were fighting for their land. They were fighting to survive. And a lot of people are fighting to survive today because of climate change, and it's a very big threat. It's a threat to everyone in the world, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, it will affect us. And I hear a lot of people talk about money and how much money it's going to cost to implement things and to implement the Green New Deal. And they all talk about money and they don't talk about how if we don't do anything now, it's going to cost us much more than what we can pay right now. It's gonna cost us much more in the future. No matter what, we're gonna to have to pay for our actions. We're gonna to have to pay for what we're doing right now. And that's why we act. That's why we're standing up for our state. That's why we're standing up for the people all across the world who are being affected right now. And for the people who will be affected, for the people not even born yet that are gonna be affected. We were born into this crisis and it's been ignored repeatedly for many, many years, and it's continuing to be ignored. When I was at these conferences in Europe, they couldn't believe that there were people who just didn't believe in climate change. And I don't really believe that politicians don't believe in climate change. I don't believe that. They know that climate change is real. They know that it's happening. It's easy to see the science. It's easy to see what's happening in our world today. But they don't act because of money. They don't act because of personal or corporate interest. They don't act because they care more about their pockets than the lives in front of them and around them that they're supposed to be protecting. And we know that. We know that. And we're fighting to say that it is their responsibility to protect the environment because it's not something you can buy. You can't buy the land, you can't buy the air, the water, you can't put a price on that. That is a human right to live. And we don't wanna have to survive and fight to survive. We wanna be able to live a life and have a future and have a future for everyone else. And we know that, and they know that, but it's a continuous fight. And it's so great to see all of you here because to listen to us and to hear what we have to say is so much more than some of our leaders are doing right now. And that's really great. And I love that all of you are here and thank you for having us. Thank you so much for letting us talk. I'm really proud to be here and I'm proud to be in front of all of you. Thank you.
my name is Isaac. I'm a 14-year-old high school student, and I leave, live near Gainesville on my family's 20-acre homestead, where we grow and raise some of our own food. I've been involved in environmental activism since I was about 10, but for as long as I can remember, I've been connected to nature and the land by learning how to grow things and raising our animals on our farm. So when I first started to learn about the climate crisis, I really didn't understand what it was or how it would affect me. But as I learned more and more, I realized the huge impact it would have on my way of life and my family. And I kind of became obsessed with it. And I would ask my mom every single day what I can do to help. As youth, we can't vote. And sometimes it can feel like we can't make a positive difference in the world. So I kept asking my mom every single day what I could do and how I could get involved in this movement and how to help the environment and our world. And um, we made all the little changes we could. We reduced our waste, we carpooled, I became vegetarian, but that just wasn't enough for me. So I got my mom and me to start researching everything we could do. Uh, we came across many organizations and Our Children's Trust was one of them and we were able to reach out to them and get involved. Since then, I've learned a lot and have been able to um, advocate for our climate and our futures in my own community. <coughs> On our homestead, we raise dairy goats and grow some of our own veggies. As you all know, there have been record-breaking temperatures every year for several years. And it's projected that more records will be broken this year. Last February, we had temperatures in the 90s. And over the summer, the heat index got up to 110 degrees. These kinds of temperatures are extremely dangerous for youth, the elderly, and people who work outside. These temperatures are also not sustainable for our dairy goats. They will produce substantially less milk and are way more susceptible to parasites with increasing heat and unpredictable weather patterns. When there is very little to no frost or freezes in the winter, it means that the parasite season is prolonged and often deadly. In 2016, there was an outbreak across the Southeast and all the medicine for parasites were sold out. As a result, we lost all but one of our baby goats. As you can imagine, there are similar issues with growing food. We, um, we have a, Lots of pests now. Um, it gets worse every year, and it's hard to grow lots of vegetables. Um, but lucky for me and my family is that we're just a hobby farm. We don't actually grow our food to survive and make enough money, but many people in our community and across the country are already feeling the effects of this unpredictable weather. And also, saltwater intrusion is creeping in through our aquifer in contaminating our drinking water and our water we use for everything from drinking to crop irrigation. And those are some of the reasons that I'm involved in this case. But another issue that has affected all Floridians is hurricanes. We have all seen and lived through increasingly devastating storms due to the climate crisis. As the seas warm and global temperatures rise, the intensity of these storms are only gonna get worse dumping more rain and causing catastrophic damage similar to Dorian this year, which devastated the Bahamas. And then Hurricane Irma and Maria in 2017 were such terrible storms for Puerto Rico, but they also affected me here. 
there was so much rainfall in North Florida and Georgia that my grandfather's Santa Fe property flooded eight out of the 10 of his acres and the water was on his, on his doorstep. Now, these kinds of floods are only supposed to be 100-year floods, but now they're becoming 50-year floods or 20-year floods or even five-year floods. This flooding is even worse in South Florida and coastal cities, putting a strain, um, but basically like, we're gonna start having a problem here in Tallahassee and central Florida, anywhere where the ground's higher because coastal cities are becoming um, dangerous for people to live and they start migrating and there'll be millions of climate refugees and they're gonna head here putting even more strain on our resources. These are all reasons why we have an obligation to future generations to demand that our government implement a science-based climate recovery plan as soon as possible. I wish it didn't take a lawsuit to accomplish this. I wish our government had our best interests in mind when they make decisions about energy systems and our state. But when profit becomes before people, it is the people, us, who must take stand up and demand change. Thank you. Thank you for joining Climate Monitor for this episode. If you have any questions, please contact Our Children's Trust at ourchildrenstrust.org. On that site, you can also find information about other OTC cases, including Juliana v. United States. I'm Mitch Chester. Please check us out on all major podcast platforms for future Climate Monitor updates.